morning. It is a blessing to be here with you today, as well as to have the privilege of serving uh, as your Executive Director for the State of Colorado Baptist General Convention. Um, as Pastor said, uh, I'm a grizzled veteran of all of nine weeks. And so um, we've moved back to Colorado. Uh, my wife is a native of Boulder. You know, there was at one point in time here in Colorado where you said Boulder with about the same chagrin that you said I've come from California. But she was a native of Boulder. I grew up uh, outside of uh, uh, Boulder in the east part of Boulder County. And uh, we are just grateful to be back into the state of Colorado. Um, for those of you that are online and for those of you that are here, I mentioned this as a way of apology to the early group this morning. Uh, Sally and I had grandchildren come and visit Friday night. They spent the night. And um, we have uh, almost four and almost two-year-old boys. And so they were there. And you know, I, I'm so grateful that I had children when I was younger. They, they keep you on your toes. But this morning when we got up to take a shower, the water was cold. I realized that the oldest had been down in the basement unsupervised. And so I went down this morning and found that the water heater had been turned off. And so we hurried up, waited for some time for it to get warmer, and then grabbed our stuff, and I left my sport coat at home, so I apologize uh, for that. I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And if my translation is a bit different than yours, I'm, I'm, it's because I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. Let's take a look at this passage starting in verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors. Even empty vessels do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all the vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they, began, and, they, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one, more, one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You, Father, that You are with us in all times. We thank You, Lord, that in circumstances that we may find ourselves in where we're, we're in difficult and painful situations, even situations where we're not sure how it's going to come out and we have nowhere to turn, Lord, You are there and you minister to us through those times. 
Father, we are grateful for the fact that you don't understand the word impossible. And for you, Lord, you walk with your people through times of joy and celebration, but as well through times of hardship. You never leave us and never forsake us. Father, I pray that through your word this morning that your people may be encouraged. They may be challenged to see the circumstances surrounding them as those things that are within your hand. That you can handle those. That you are the one working through your people to accomplish your purposes. Father, I pray that you will draw us closer to yourself this morning. That we may leave this place changed people, different people, because we're here worshiping this morning. But we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you over the last nine weeks what I've been doing as, a, as your new state exec. I've been meeting with pastors and church groups traveling across the state. This is one of those things that I suppose that you can identify with as well. I hear a lot of this from the eastern side of the state and the western side of the state. One of the things we want you to know, Mike, is that we are not Denver. So, okay. No, no, no. What we want you to understand is that we thank the Lord Jesus, we are not Denver. I got it. What I've also discovered in those times of, and last weekend I was in the High Country Association, what I've discovered in those times is that there is a great deal of expressed isolation. Churches feeling like they are distant from one another. Pastors feeling like they are, have been kind of on their own. They're alone. The last two years have been extremely difficult. The changes that have taken place, not only in culture from a perspective of people now more concerned about health issues, uh, from the political changes that have taken place. And I, I just want to thank you for remaining seated this morning when Pastor said, I don't bring California values. I think there was a standing ovation in the early service this morning. But I, but I believe in the values of Scripture. I believe in the, in the inerrant Word of God. I believe that the importance that we'll find in, in protecting us and gathering us and changing the world comes through Jesus Christ. Amen? Because Jesus made a difference in my life and, and it wasn't anything that anybody else could do. It was something that only He could do. But here's what, I, here's what I've discovered. This is what I sense the Lord has, has revealed to me in this, in the condition where our pastors and the difficulties that they've been through, they're exhausted. They're tired. There are churches that are finding themselves feeling a little bit defeated. You know, the, the world has changed as such where the values that we hold dear no longer held dear by, by the people of, of, around us. And so they're talking about how difficult the ground is to plow in terms of the gospel penetration, in terms of those things. And so one of the things that, that Scripture resonates with this testimony is that there's nothing impossible for God. Amen? Regardless of how hard it may seem to us, regardless of how much difficult the time that we've, we experience, there's nothing impossible for God. This is what Mary was told by Gabriel when she asked, how could it be that I'll be pregnant? I'm a virgin. And he said, with God, nothing is impossible. It's the, the evidence of Scripture where we see the miracles that took place of 
the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the walking on water, the parting of the sea, all of these things are evidences that there is nothing impossible for God. But these miracles, as great as they are, can lead us at times to ask the question, but how does that help me in my everyday walk in today's times? It's great that those things happened thousands of years ago, but how does that help me in where we live? And the fact of the matter is, the Scriptures that talk about the miracles that took place thousands of years ago that we have the same God who did those things then can do those things now. And we can walk secure in understanding that regardless of what we experience in life, He is with us. And He walks with us and He comforts us. You see, I'm convinced that the Scriptures that reveal the miracles thousands of years ago are not just so that we would say, wasn't that great? But so that we would say, the same God can do those same things today. That Hebrews 13 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same power that God exerted in those miracles dwells within the believer through the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at a text this morning that I, I pray will be an encouragement to you. You know, I have no idea what you've been going through. I have no idea your personal lives, the experiences that you've had. But I do know this that if you have not just come through a problem or a difficulty or are not going through a problem or a difficulty right now, I know this is no fun to talk about on Sunday morning, but there's one just around the corner. And it's important for us to, to learn how to swim before the boat tips over and we find ourselves in the water. Amen? To set those things secure and be reminded that that God who can do anything, who for whom He does not understand the word impossible, is with me. To be secure in that before the hardships come can be a tremendous blessing to us. So what I want us to do is just walk through this text again. And I, I, I want to propose to you that there are four stages where faith in the Lord unlocks great things. Let's look at the first stage together in verse 1. Look at me again at verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. The first stage that I've got for your outline here is that an overwhelming problem exists. An overwhelming problem exists. Make no mistake about this text. There is an intentionality about the description that is given to us, as, as limited as it may seem, about the description that's given to us about this woman's plight. It is a real situation, a real circumstance for which she had no way to help herself. Just think back to the things that, that's going through here. It is that we are told that the creditor, she had a debt, and that the creditor was coming to take her two children as his slaves in payment for the debt. One of the things that the Lord revealed to me several years ago as I was pastoring, and now I'll be transparent with you, this is not something that I've always lived in, but something that I believe to be true. 
it is that whenever facing a difficult situation, that this is true. This is not a problem, but it is an opportunity for God to come through. This is not a problem, it is an opportunity for God to come through. It is the platform by which God wants to work through a circumstance to show His sovereignty in that situation. The narrative that we're told here shows three things intentionally that are true in this woman's life. One, she had a debt. Two, that she could not pay the debt on her own. And three, the creditor was within his right to take her children and make them his slaves to cover the debt. Now, how many of you think that's an overwhelming circumstance? It's okay. We, we won't accuse you of being charismatic. You hold your hand up. It's an overwhelming circumstance that she could not cover herself. I think the text is so intentional in revealing that to us. That here she finds herself in a circumstance where for all intents and purposes, she has no way out. This is the platform through which the Lord is going to work. I want you to look with me at the second stage which reveals how faith unlocks great things. It is seeking the Lord. In verse 1, it tells us that she cried out to the prophet Elisha. Now, because the prophet Elisha was known as the man of God who spoke for God, she, in essence, was crying out to the Lord. I want you to notice what she did not do in the text. She did not go to her creditor and beg for more time to pay the debt. She didn't even go to extend her credit with him so that she could uh, you know, find another way to do things. I want you to notice that she also, it, it doesn't describe her going to friends and asking to borrow money so that she can cover this debt. What did she do? The text tells us that she sought the Lord. In difficult situations, I think human tendency is to grasp for straws, to grasp for solutions, to find ways that we can handle things ourselves. And it's only secondary to the believer many times to say, I have no out, I, I need the Lord's help. But that's the picture that we see of this woman. She cries out to the Lord. Verse 2 says that, that the man of God asked her two questions. First is, what shall I do for you? And the second is, tell me what do you have in the house? Now, I would guess that all of us would su suspect that when she found out the creditor was coming, she already scoured through the house to see what there might be of value that she could sell to cover the debt, right? That, that seems pretty logical. In fact, she said, the only thing I have, and, and in, you need to hear this in desperation in, in, in the tone in her voice, the only thing I have is this jar of oil. In the Hebrew, the word jar here really means flask, about two to three ounces, enough oil for anointing. Obviously, in her mind, this was insufficient to help in any way. And so she said, well, this is really all I have. How in the world can a jar of oil take care of the debt that is about to take my sons from me? 
Well, Elijah gave her instructions in verses 3 and 4. Look at those with me together again. Verses 3 and 4. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all of your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. Would you agree with me that from human perspective alone, that's a ridiculous request. If you have two ounces or three ounces of oil, what difference does it make if you have five 10-gallon containers that are empty? You're still only going to have two or three ounces of oil. That's what human perspective says. But God asks her to do that which is counterintuitive to human logic, which sets up the third stage in this scenario of how faith unlocks great things. The third thing is found in verses 5 and 6, and it's called, I've called it the crisis of belief. If you've ever studied experiencing God with Henry Blackaby, you understand or are familiar with that term, the, the crisis of belief. Dr. Blackaby says, he proposes that faith before it can, can be moved from merely believing something to be true to the point of putting it into practice requires someone to, to decide whether or not they're going to move forward. They're at, they're at that crossroad. This seems like a ridiculous request, but this ridiculous request is coming from the Lord. What am I going to do? Am I going to step forward in faith? Or am I going to recoil and, re, and kind of reshuffle the deck and see what can I do on my own? You know, there are times when the Lord directs us to a place our faith in Him, not in our circumstances, but our faith in Him that seems counterintuitive to human logic. We sang about two of those examples this morning in the worship songs that we sang. We sang about Moses lifting up his staff where the Hebrews had their backs to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies were charging against him. And the Lord's instruction was, take your staff and hold it over the sea and I'm going to part it and you'll have escape. That seems counterintuitive to human logic. Just hold up a stick over the water. There was, we sang about the, the marching around Jericho, right? For seven days they marched around Jericho. On the seventh day they marched around seven times. And the instruction that the Lord gave Joshua is tell the people, blow the trumpets and shout and the walls will come tumbling down. Archaeologists have told us that Jericho is such a fortified city that two chariots could ride abreast on the top of the wall all the way around. How in the world is blowing a trumpet and shouting going to bring stones down? Counterintuitive to human logic. Abraham was promised that he would have an heir of his own flesh for years and years and years. And in his old age, finally Isaac is born. And then the Lord says, sacrifice him to me. That all seems counterintuitive from human logic. There are times when the Lord says to us, stand there and we want to rush forward. And there are times when we want to stand here and the Lord says, go move, move ahead. And the question, that crossroad, that, that fight that we have, that crisis of belief is, who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust our eyes? 
that, sh- that tell us this situation is impossible, or are we going to trust the Lord? And in all of this, this woman stands as one who trusted the Lord. In fact, her actions were the epitome of faith. In fact, look at, look at verses 5 and 6 again. The man of God gave her instruction that was counterintuitive to human logic. And, and verse 5 tells us, so she went. She went from him and she shut the door behind her and her sons and they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. I want you to see, I want you to note the partnership of the unleashing of God's activity based on her act of faith. And, I, and I'm not here to proclaim a, um, a name it and claim it gospel. I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to say, if you just have enough faith, everything in your life is going to be great. I'm not here to say that, that everything in your life is going to be perfect. I'm not here to say you're going to drive the best car, you're going to have the nicest house, you're going to win the lottery. I'm not here to say that. But there is this picture of partnership that we see that when she acted in faith, God responded. And to the extent of her faith, God responded. Think about those vessels that are being filled with this two to three ounces of oil. If she'd have gotten five vessels, how many, oil, how many vessels full of oil would she have gotten? Five. When the last one was filled, it would have stopped. That's what happened. But if she'd gotten 20, the oil would stop at 20. If she'd have gotten 50, I mean, the text doesn't tell us how many that she had. The text tells us that she went out and got many. And when the last one was full, the oil stopped and there was no more. In this, this woman becomes for us the picture of faith, the epitome of faith. But her faith was not connected to the oil Her faith was exercised in the gathering of the vessels before the oil ever started. That makes sense. She went out and she did as the Lord commanded. And she trusted the results into God's hands. I want us to look at the final verse. It is the final stage here is the reality that we, we understand is that God is faithful. And look what it says. So she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Again, I don't think this is a, this is a prosperity uh, passage. I don't think that she won the lottery here and she never had to work again or that her sons never had to work again. I, this is just my opinion. I think that the surplus of oil that she had after paying her debt was enough to get her to that place where her sons were then of age to begin to provide for her to go out and work. Because clearly, they were too young to do that. But God took care of her needs above and beyond. Folks, the miracle of the oil and, is, and the true lesson here of the text is that God is always faithful. God is always faithful to care for His people. He never abandons His people. He never leaves their side. He walks with them through all situations and circumstances. But as I said, this doesn't mean that if you have enough faith that your life now is going to be easy. 
Sally and I last week were at the International Mission Board uh, offices in Richmond, Virginia. And we had the privilege while we were there of going to the International um, Training Center where missionaries that are going overseas that are first appointed spend eight weeks there in training and then they go overseas. And then those that are coming back off a of furlough, they spend time there before they go back out onto the field. And there's a, there's a hallway that has uh, several wooden placards that are up there with brass, little brass plaques on them. And they're filled. There are probably seven or eight of those along that wall. And those are remembrances of missionaries that never came back home off the field. They went because God had, had called them to do that. They went because the Gospel demanded that they do that. And they gave their lives on the field. They gave their lives for the work of the Gospel. When I was pastoring, we had a, a missionary come. We had a world mission conference. missionary came and spoke on a Wednesday night. Her name was Dana Bullington. She had talked about her service in Africa, where she was, where the particular area where they were, they had um, spitting cobras. I'd never heard of spitting cobras before her testimony. She talked about the, the great joy that when the dog would start barking, they would know that there was a spitting cobra nearby, probably in the garden or under a pile of something. And that the kids would go, four kids, they would go with their sunglasses to protect their eyes from the venom. And they would get the shovels and the hose and different things, and they would go hunting Spitting cobras. Now, you know, different places of the world call different things fun. <laughs> and she said that was something that was a, a, the highlight. <laughs> I'm thinking, highlight? Where they were there in Africa, they were eight hours away from medical, um, uh, medical facilities. And her husband got sick. And they waited thinking that this was just something that was going to pass and it, it accelerated. That by the time they got him to the hospital, it was too late and he died a few days later. So she comes back a, a widow with four children. But that call of the Lord on her life was never waned, even in this experience. She met a man who also had felt that call of the Lord to go, and by the way, to go to Africa. And they found themselves in the very, got married and found themselves recommissioned to uh, that same region. Her family asked her, how in the world could you go back to a place like that as dangerous as it is and all that you've experienced and feel comfortable doing that and taking your kids into that? I mean, that's a heart-wrenching thing. And here were the words that she said that never have left my mind. She said, I told my family the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Folks, having faith doesn't mean that everything works out from human perspective to the happy ending. But the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. The, the testimony of this, of this text for me is a word of encouragement. Now you may find yourself in a, in a work situation where people are hostile to the Gospel. You may find yourself 
where you've been, you're working in a, a, an area or you're living in an area where you had been ministering to people and now people are rejecting you. People are openly criticizing you for your faith. You know, God's not looking just for the pretty people of the world. I'm so grateful for that. God's not looking just for the, the most clever people. He's not looking just for the people with the best gifts. He's not looking for the people who have the highest education. He's looking for people that will say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Because the evidence of the text here is that God takes even those things that we feel are insignificant and uses them for His glory. It will simply allow Him to do that. One of the things that we realize here is that our world has changed and may never be going back to what it was before. But the Gospel still needs to go out. And God still wants to use you and me as His children for that purpose. But remember this, that it's God working through the One who says, yes, Lord, I'll step out in faith. And He's doing all the work. He's asking us just simply to be obedient. Maybe you're here this morning and you've gone through some difficult situations, some circumstances that, are, that you feel just beyond your control. And you don't know, what are you going to do? The evidence of the widow here is you seek the Lord. You trust the Lord. You step out in faith in what the Lord asks you to do. And you, you watch Him work through that obedience. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Have you ever felt trapped? The testimony of Scripture is that in the face of those needs, the Lord says, I don't understand the word impossible. The reality for us as God's people is that the world needs to see a testimony like that. The Lord needs to see us stepping out in faith. Will you do that? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself in an extremely difficult situation. Maybe you are home this morning watching online and you find yourself in a very difficult situation. Spend time today seeking God's truth and His revealed truth in Scripture that He is beyond and above and able to care for every need that you have. Maybe you're here this morning and this idea of this kind of security, this kind of peace of, of trusting in the Lord is beyond your understanding. This Even Christianity has seemed a bit outside of your ability to grasp. Jesus Christ died on the cross for every one of us to take our punishment, to take our sins. And when the Holy Spirit works on the heart that realizes that I have a need and I can't accomplish this on my own, that the Spirit moves upon that heart to say, Lord, forgive me a sinner and I give my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that, but maybe, maybe right now you're sensing that that's what you need to do. That's what the Lord is calling you to. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of decision. The pastor and some leaders are going to be standing in the back of the church. I encourage you that you just stand up as we stand up, that you just walk to the back as we're standing and singing. Walk to the back and talk to one of those men and just share with them what's, what's going on in your heart. And you, 
you settle that issue with the Lord today. None of us are guaranteed the next five minutes. We need to deal with these things as the Spirit is moving on us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for for evidences of Your your superiority, your, Your sovereignty over all things. As was said earlier, Brother Jay talked about how, Lord, You hold the whole world in Your hands. Lord, You can act without us, but it seemed like every miracle that took place outside of the creation itself came about because one of Your servants stepped out in faith as You instructed, and then You acted. Father, I pray that You will move over all of us, every one of us in this place, that we will stand encouraged, renewed in Your ability to cover all things. Father, we love You and we praise You. We thank You for Your love for us. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.